Yeah. Yeah, old school. That's what I'm talking about. Listen, this ain't for everybody. Some of y'all need to hear that. Huh. I know you're in the trenches fighting, but check it out. I'm going to put it down like this so I can help you things understand. Everything you're going through is all part of the master plan. Or what? You thought because you got saved, everything was going to be peaches and cream? You better wake up, son. Don't nothing come to a sleeper but a drink. Faith without works is dead. Read your Bible. You know what it says. He who don't work, don't eat. Blackers don't get fed. Huh, yeah. Jesus said he who puts his hands to the pile looks back the same ain't fit. Some of y'all ain't been in the kitchen five minutes and you're about ready to quit. I ain't mad at you. I'm just hitting you with the real. <laughs> if you die for me and I was still tripping, now how you think that make you feel? Check this out. Deep game. This here's deep. Huh? Some of y'all ain't sawing nothing but you're studying trying to reach. Huh? But after him who was able to possess your father by his glory. Struggles might be part of your testimony, but it ain't the end of the story. Now the point is this prophesied way back in the day. Choir, sing your hook right here and see if the church can relate. Great, great title 
because I know um, every day uh, we need to strive to be better people, and that includes not uh, dragging around unnecessary, um, even though we don't think we bring in unnecessary baggage to new situations, but nine times out of ten, we do. But uh, let me see as I guess with us today, uh, whom is Miss Corby? Corby Midlead. I hope I'm pronouncing her name correctly. It's Midlead, Lamont, but nobody gets it right the first time. That's okay. Good to be here. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you, Corby. If I could call you that, I don't feel so bad now because I was just fitting to feel real bad. <laughs> now, nah, please, please. If that's the worst thing that's happened to me this week, it's a great week. Oh, my goodness. Well, we're going to get to talk about some of those things, too, and just seeing how you navigated through those waters, boy. It well, wasn't Corby, fun, gonna... but it taught. No. Yes. No. I know. Uh, look, this journey that we on, this thing called life, is really never, never fun like it's supposed to be, like we're told it's going to be, because it's made up with a whole bunch of trials and tribulations, unfortunately. If we can look at what comes up as, as the examined life, it means we look at what happened and say, okay, I've got this. What's the lesson it can teach me? And how can I pass that lesson on to someone else? The idea of each one is supposed to teach one is core, really core. Well, Corby, let me give you a minute. Uh, I always like to start off with, I guess, to tell our listeners a little bit about you, where you came from, and then we're going to get into these questions so we can help turn on some other people's lights out there. Okay. Um, let's see. What can we start with? Um, I've had a very checkered career. I've been an actress, an author, an inspirational speaker, a video producer, writer of graphic novels, an executive recruiter for engineering and manufacturing. Um, all of that has taught me how to be, if you will, an intuitive counselor to help people realize they have their own answers. And I can help them find the toolbox, but they are the repair people of their own life. And I give them the courage to do it. When you say intuitive counselor, uh, could you break that down a little for, a little bit for us people that's a little bit slow today? Sure. Sure. Um, kind of see myself as the tube and the tool for the man upstairs. And it is not my ego that helps people, though they can learn from some of the experiences I've had poverty, abuse, cancer, divorce, things like that. My job is to help them find manifestation. What do they want to bring into their lives? How can they believe in themselves? How can they realize nothing is wrong with them and nothing ever was? We're all here to learn. We are all here. We can't get it wrong. What I try to explain to people is... Um, Yes, we come down here with things that we want to accomplish, but we were given free will. And the way to think about that is you go to college and you decide you're going to be a history major, okay? And you can take gut courses 
or you can do double major plus lab and give yourself headaches. Either way, you're going to graduate with that degree. So you can go through life making constant mistakes and doing things that you know will not serve you and not learn from that or instead of the blame game or the pity party or being the professional victim, you can say, all right, this has happened. What do I need to learn from it? How can I change so that I sidestep that next time? And then, so someone else doesn't have to invent the wheel all over again, what have I learned that I can pass on? People come to me for practical things. They come to me because they want to make a deeper spiritual connection. Sometimes they will come to me if um, they need some peace around a deceased loved one. So that's where that is. Um, I've made a career out of experiences, and I help them do the same thing. And Clean Out Your Life Closet uses four specific aspects of our lives. Clarity, adaptability, going with the flow, simplicity, looking at life kind of like a tiny house, and making friends with stress because everyone will always have stress in their life. You need to learn how to deal with it and make it work for you. How long does it take a person to actually learn that when they've, uh, say, for instance, been on this planet for uh, 45, 50 years, you know, and, and stuck in one mindset? Is it a lengthy process? Darling, man, I'm 66 next month, and I'm still learning. <laughs> so you never graduate okay. until you're done. <laughs> okay. um, you can change in a moment. You um, Think of it this way. You have a situation. That's a stimulus. What you believe about it is how you respond to it. If you decide that you're going to believe a different thing about it instead of oh, my God, I had cancer, it's awful, God doesn't love me, what did I do wrong? Instead of, okay, it's a journey, it's a cancer dance, and I'm going to get through it. Your belief has changed because they've done work. People who have a positive mindset will literally kick up your immune system. And that it's not just for diseases, for just about everything in your life. So... I don't care how old you are. You can be two, and you can be 102. Change is in the moment, and you can change today. Wow, that's powerful stuff right there. Corby, I see some stuff you got here for us, um, which is a very interesting thing, because I'd like to know the question and answer this one, too. Uh, Why do people Mm -hmm. buy self-help books in the first place when they don't read them? Because they are right. Everybody, you're going to go into Barnes and Noble, and you get these self-help shelves, and there are these books with sexy titles and great covers, and you pick it up and you flip through a couple of pages that may have something that sounds good, so you, you buy it, and then you get it home and you realize this person is not talking to you at all. Uh, there was a book a couple of years ago by I think Doreen Virtue who was telling you that you had to eat a certain way and do yoga every day and be vegan. And I, look, I live in upstate New York in farm country, and we eat dead things. <laughs> it's just where it is. And I work six days a week, and this body does not do yoga well. So for a book like that, it doesn't speak to me. 
So what I chose to do is I wrote the book with the idea that my readers would write it with me. I don't tell you my way is the only way to do it. Each chapter is pretty much, here's a thought. Here's some of the dumb things I did. Here's an example of a client of mine that had to go through some stuff. And here's some things to think about. And at the end of each chapter, I've got what I call um, the adventure pages. And there are no right or wrong answers. Let's look at life as a tiny house. What are some of the questions? How do you view stuff? How do you view your stuff in particular? How does your stuff serve you? Is there stuff that merely gets in the way now? If so, what is it? How does it stop you? Now, you see, the only person who's going to be able to answer those questions is the person reading it, not me. So that by the end of the book, if you've done all the questions on the adventure pages, that is now your personal inspirational and motivational manual. Your friend could pick up the same book but read it a different way. They would have a different manual for you. And when people realize that they have their own answers, that they can support their own growth in their own life circumstances, all of a sudden there is so much possibility in their life. They are so much less afraid. They trust their own knowing and they realize, you know, you put your hand up, you grab a hold of the dude, and there's nothing you can't do. <laughs> That seems definitely seems like a whole lot of self-reflection there. People really have to spend time to get into their own heads. And some people are afraid to. Who's in your own head besides you? Now that's a good question. That's a good question because people walk around daily, and I'm sure you see them too walking around every day, and um, they're – Operating under somebody else's principles and pretenses and expectations, you know, but they're not really being mm -hmm. who they are or enjoying their life or being their best person because they're trying to be somebody else for somebody else, if that makes sense. They are allowing other people to judge them. They are allowing other people to define them. And they are allowing other people to make the rules for them. You have to say no. Look. I adored my father. He was a brilliant doctor. My brother is a doctor. My mother was a nurse. I fainted blood, man. Don't, I'm not going into medicine. So I do other things. And it took a while for my father to stop trying to get me to at least go to law school. And it was like, no, Dad, not going. Um, I'm a writer. I was a theater major in college. I'm a lecturer. That's what I do. And before he died, he finally realized his daughter knew exactly who she was. She was proud of me. That was good. Your daddy wanted you to be in one of those other professions and you wanted to work in a donut shop and be yourself. And I'll tell you, looking back, I have no regrets that I didn't finish college. I have no regrets that my path was bumpy and kind of all over the place like little Billy and family circus. But I'm looking at 66. I'm an elder. I'm a senior citizen. And I look back at my life and I see I have value and I have things to pass on. That's that's a good life, no matter how you got there. 
Corby, but the 66 is the new 56. Oh, from your mouth to God's ears, honey pie, let me tell you. <laughs> so, especially after this year of COVID, I mean, all of us look a little road hard and put away wet. We need to get back to our normal lives. Well, listen, is that because that's because we're not as active as we are normally and we're doing more confinement? What do you think the reason for that is? I'm sure that's what it is. I mean, look, I live in the middle of a 12-acre hayfield in upstate New York. Since New Year's, this place has been surrounded with snow and ice. And so it's it, I can't even walk out on my driveway. It is simply not safe. And we can't get in the car and go and drive places because you're supposed to be social distancing and staying away from people. So, yeah, it's I'm in this little, you know, hamster habit trail and have been uh, because my husband and I have uh, comorbidities and we're older. We've been in, in lockdown since last March. And that takes its toll on people. We are social creatures, and there's only so much Zoom you can do. We will never again take for granted the simplicity and the gorgeousness of a hug from a friend. So this that we've gone through is a lesson that we obviously all needed. It helped us get rid of a lot of the stuff that was just taking up space and time and made us think about ourselves and what do we really want to do and be after the pandemic is over. It's it's a, a lesson from upstairs. Definitely got a lot of time here to self reflect and and get things in perspective because what we're seeing is um, tomorrow's not promised to nobody, and uh, this virus is not prejudice at all. I have no, no. Issue, issues. So it's almost like like you said, it's definitely a wake up call. If it's something that you need to do or want to do, you better be trying to get at it. Mm-hmm. But let's use that as an example about the examined life, okay? Um, a lot of my friends um, feel that it's been a terrible year. So much has been taken away from them. It's driving them crazy. When I look at this year, I have to say, has it been difficult? Yes. But because I was able to reflect and look at what, really wasn't me anymore. Maybe it was when I was in my 30s and 40s and 50s, but not now. There are a lot of things in my life. There are a lot of ways that I have changed how I work that I was able to get rid of because God sat me down and said, you're going to be in the house for a long time. What are you going to do with it? And so now, a year later, my business has completely changed. I do pretty much everything online, which is lovely. I do get to stay home. It's not as rough on me physically. I get to spend more time with my husband. Um, so because I didn't look at the pandemic as, oh, how horrible, but okay, it is what it is, and you're not going to say, you know, you can't walk away from it. How can you work with it? That's when you find all the opportunities. You know, it's amazing what you just mentioned, too, because by staying at home and having to learn different things for the people that haven't been um, uh, really computer literate, I mean, they basically had to take a crash course, you know, especially if they're in business or having to do things, you know, elsewhere. Especially uh, had to. Where's your husband at? I just want to ask you that because you've been at home so much. Do you be driving him crazy? Actually, 
we look. It's Valentine's Day. We are in. I know that, Corby. Shock. I know that came from. No, I know that came from. It. No, and I love I, the question. I love the question. We looked at each other today. I mean, normally um, there's a great restaurant that we go to called the American Hotel, and the one night of the year that I don't cook and it's very fancy and pussy pussy, as my grandmother would say. Well, we weren't doing it this year, so I cooked, and we realized this year has actually been so good for the marriage because we looked at what needed to change and we both worked on it. We didn't have outside distractions that made us forget about the wonderful person that we married. So, yeah, I admit, there are some people that are fighting like cats and dogs, but we were very fortunate in that we used the time to work on what we had and make it better. So believe it or not, we're happier today than we were a year ago. That's awesome, Corby. And plus, that's a fantastic attitude and a fantastic way to go about things because um, there's so many other positive things that can come out of this situation if people just look for it. Mm-hmm. Look, I picked the right one this time. You know, we've been together 20 years now. And so when we married each other, we were still in our late 40s. You know, we were still gorgeous. And now we look like grandmotherly and grandfatherly types, and we still love each other. You know, so we know it wasn't just a look. This is good. <laughs> That's amazing, too, because when you grow together, boy, put them years in together. You can't say you look like this or you look like that because neither one of you look like you used to look. <laughs> uh, oh, amen. Let me tell you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. Well, Corby, let me just throw this one out there for our listeners. For you guys that just join us, um, of course, you know, the call-in number is 646-929-2870. All you need to do is press number one on your phone, and we'll be glad to let you join the conversation, and maybe you can get some tidbits that can help your day be a better day. All right, Corby, I'm back with you. So, Corby, what do you mean, think like a Martian? Oh, I love that. Um, it, it's You remember Looney Tunes and Marvin the Martian with, like, the scrubbing brush on his Roman helmet and all. That's not the Martian we're talking about. But thinking like a Martian is staying open to all possibilities. Here's an example. If I was sitting down with you, Mark, and you had water running down your face, I might say to you, why are you crying? But I could be wrong. Now, a Martian detective would have come down here from Mars, and he knows from nothing. And so he would just look at you and go, Mama, why is there water coming from your eyes? And you see, the Martian might be right because maybe it has nothing to do with emotion, but maybe your contact lenses are bugging you, or maybe you've got allergies. It doesn't have to be what I judged it to be. So when you go into any situation, leaving it completely open to answers, then that's when you open up your possibilities. Uh, There's a wonderful story that I love to tell. There was a man who had a family, a little girl. He was in a terrible car accident that really messed up his face, I mean, to the point where people kind of looked at him and and shivered. And so he was terribly self-conscious and and kind of walked with his head always turned away. But he was still married, still had his family and loved them. 
and um, he was a photographer. So he was putting his daughter to bed one night, and she grabs his face, and she smushes it next to hers, and she says, this would be a great picture, Daddy, but it would be better if Mommy's face were in the picture. Now, before he learned to be a Martian, he would have immediately assumed his daughter was saying even she found him ugly. But now he knew how to just turn that around and ask, and he did why would it be better if mommy's face was in the picture, Angie? And she looked at him like he was an idiot and said, because mommy can't hold the camera still and you take good pictures. Boom. <laughs> because he was a Martian detective, because he did not assume he knew what his daughter meant, he escaped something that could have deeply hurt him and instead realized his daughter still sees him as daddy and she knows how good he is behind a camera. That's why thinking like a Martian is so important. That's awesome as well. Definitely give people something to think about. And what inspired you to write your, your book, Corby? I know it's probably um, a few of those life experiences that you dealt with. Oh, a lot of it. A lot of it. Um People have always said to me, oh, you speak so well, you have to write a book, blah, blah, blah. So um, a few years back, I just sent out an email to my clients, and I said, what Corby, are the real subjects quick, you really uh, give, wait, to talk I, about? Let me jump. I didn't want to cut you off, but tell the people the name yeah. of the book and where they can go get it. Clean Out Your Life Closet. And you can find it on Amazon. You can find it in paperback or Kindle, or it's even an audio book which I recorded myself because I believe if it's a nonfiction book, the person with a passion to write it should be the one to read it to you. I totally, totally agree with that because I've done audio books in the past, and uh, I guess when you first learn how to do that, the best way to do it, then you come back to the thing. Well, it's better to do it yourself because you know what you're trying to say. And uh, mm -hmm. listeners or readers, listeners, just like a song, you know, it's it's just a different uh, passion that goes into it when you do it yourself, and it seems like that resonates with the people that's receiving it. Exactly so. So, um, what did you ask me? I it totally flew. Oh, why did I write the book? Um, primarily because there were certain things that a lot of clients wanted to know about, and. So I just started writing the book, and I have so many tales to tell. I mean, I have been through three bouts of breast cancer, two divorces, the death of three parents, my two biologicals and a stepmother I absolutely adored. Um, I've lived in poverty, even though I came from a well-to-do doctor's family. Uh, I have been abused. I've been raped. I mean, it's been a whirlwind of a life. But at this point, I get to get up in the morning. I don't have to get up in the morning. I do not look at what happened and say, oh, poor me. Um, let's, let's look at the cancer as an example. Um, Carl and I got married, late 40s. I still had my Dolly Parton figure, and I am not kidding. I was gorgeous. And then a year and a half after we got married, doctors found something on a mammogram and said, sorry, but we're taking everything. And you're going to go from that Dolly Parton figure to a fat fire plug with permanent side effects. Suck it up. Now, did I go home and cry? Yes. I was normal. But I knew 
that I had to find three reasons to somehow get okay with what was happening. I didn't care how dumb they were. So the first thing I said was, okay, if you don't have them, you can't get cancer there. That's a good thing. Number two, Top Hat is not going to get slammed in the refrigerator door at the doctor's every year, and every single woman listening knows exactly what I'm talking about. And third, implants, cool, I'll be perky till I'm 93, baby. To the point where when I went into Massachusetts General Hospital for the double mastectomy and reconstruction, I was out of the hospital in three days and shopped for a bathing suit inside. I was not going to be a victim. In fact, you will never hear me say I fought cancer because what you fight fights back. And I will never say that I'm a survivor because you think of a survivor and they're hanging on by teeth and toenails. I always refer to myself as a cancer dancer. I found out how graceful I could be under pressure. I avoided getting my toes stepped on, and I got off the dance floor in one piece. And when other people do in the dance hear that explanation, all of a sudden they're less scared. They're more fierce about getting through it. And again, you're boosting the immune system because they think positively there are possibilities. That's what I want for people. Yes, everything, all of that definitely deserves to be in a book. Because I know a lot of uh, women across the globe uh, could definitely derive some strength and some direction from that. What other part of the book you want to look at, Lamont? Well, I guess you could talk about all of it, though, Corby. That way people would rush out and go get it. Okay. So what Let's did, take what a look did, at uh, this. Uh, what? Well, yeah, another question here for you. Uh, what made? Uh, yeah. uh, how did you make sure your book didn't fall into the uh, self-help tra- trap? Oh, I remembered all the ones on my shelf, Lamont. I did the same dumb thing we all did. Um, and I wrote the book that I would want to read, and I worked with a lot of my clients. I passed out chapters. I said, what do you think? Does it make sense? Does it make you laugh? Is it something you can relate to? Um, I am, you know, as my, my old saying is, my, I'm not one of those people that says my aura don't stink. I'm just normal. I really am. I'm not special. People can do what I do. But I wanted to make a book that didn't preach, but reached out a hand, said, sit down, have a cup of coffee. Let's talk about what's going on. And when I had them sit down, uh, I basically gave them, if you will, what I call the three-legged stool of clarity. Because there are three things you've got to get clear on if you want your life to have meaning and if you want your life to have balance. And that's, that's what, getting clear that's on your I, purpose. Yeah, that's what I yep. was just going to ask you, Corby, too, is when you speak of clarity – I mean, people may want to get clarity, but what do they do to get there? Well, there is a chapter called The Joy of the Clear Telescope. And what I do is I kind of explain that you have this internal telescope and you have to decide to use it. And you have to clean the lens, which is 
things like understanding the difference between urgent and important, okay? Urgent is do the laundry, walk the dog, uh, play with video games. You can get seduced away from your important things. So you need to focus it, and you can focus it with mindfulness. You can focus it with prayer. You can focus it with meditation. You got to aim the telescope at what you really want, and you have to adjust the lens. And this is simple. You cultivate good habits. You get enough sleep. You eat good food. You keep yourself and your surroundings clean, comfortable. You get dressed every day. Everyone that's making jokes about, well, I guess I have to wear pants today, um, not like the rest of the week when I didn't leave the house. No, you get dressed. It is self-respect. You turn off the techno tempters when you need to get focused. Stop answering emails. Don't check Facebook. You set your schedule. You keep your list. You learn from other people with focused telescopes. We all have people that inspire. And then we have the people that we know are just their high maintenance, and they're not going to help us. So you spend the time with the people that help move you forward. Very important. You stay away from the people who live in Neverland. Neverland people are the ones that say, it'll never happen. No, you can't do this. I wouldn't do it if I were you. They exhaust you, and they keep you away from what you want to do. Instead, go find your tribe. Go find the people who are strong. Go find the people who want to make something of the world and of themselves. Go find the people who are good and generous and compassionate. That's your tribe. And you have to avoid the gloom and doom in the world. Um, That doesn't mean Pollyanna, but that does mean it's a marathon, not a sprint. Um, If I can get a tiny bit political, um, I'm not pleased with what happened in Congress, but I'm not going to sit here and have a pity party. I'm going to roll up my sleeves. I'm going to get people to vote. I'm going to sign up voters. I'm going to do what I can to make this country more equal, more fair. That's where I'm aiming my telescope. And sticking with the doom and gloom does not help. So once you've cleaned that, then you've got your three-legged stool of clarity, which is getting clear on your purpose, getting clear in your relationships, and getting clear with spirit. If all those three things are solid, there is nothing you cannot do. I really like that. And, it, and and look, and people definitely need to turn off the TV, boy, because sitting there looking at the news all day, good gracious. Doom and mm-hmm. gloom. Doom scrolling is what they call it. Always looking for the bad news on COVID. Always looking for the bad political news. Now, if you turn it off and all of a sudden you hear the ringing silence in the house, you realize that you were mesmerized, you were hypnotized by that stuff. Pull your mind out of it. What do you want to do? What do you want to focus on? What is important to you? That's where you go. And it's important to figure out what your purpose is. The way I explain it. That's the full-time job right there, Corby. It's for people mm-hmm. to try to uh, figure out what their purpose is. People are 90 years old and still haven't figured that one out yet. Well, the way I explain it is you need to find your sense of passion. Your sense of passion 
isn't who you are or what you do or even how you do it. It's the vapor trail you leave behind in every encounter. So when you go skidding into heaven on bald tires and fumes in the tank and God hands you a cup of coffee and says, so, you say, I get this. Isn't it cool? My sentence of passion is cross the bridge from fear to fearlessness and fly. When I can take somebody from point A to point B when they thought they couldn't cross it, whack them on their shoulders, say, here are your wings. You don't need a flight plan. Now get, I'm living my bliss. But I had to look at my own life to see how I could make that happen, how I had worked that through. So some of the questions that you can ask yourself are, what's your life been about? Um, If you're, for instance, always the one who stands up for the underdog, whether or not you win, how does justice look to you? How do you want to bring it about on a daily basis? If you consistently get overlooked for awards or disqualified in contests for odd reasons or feel cheated out of things you should have gotten, does that make you bitter or better at being self-empowered? These are all things that tell you who you are. Then you've got to find out where your happiness lives. For me, it's words. For me, it's people. I would never want to be in the back room doing data entry. I'd die by inches. Then you look at where you find comfort, and that's not potato chips and video games. I love words. My friend Rena is a comedian. My beloved stepmother, Shirley, was a brilliant gardener. That's where we found our peace. You look at the crises that changed your life. With me, it was cancer. Maybe some people it was living through Hurricane Katrina. Maybe some people it was losing a loved one uh, in a drive-by shooting. That will change how you look at the world. And you want to know what is it that you want to be remembered for. Is it just for your own family? Do you want to make a difference in the world? When you look at those questions, you will know why God put you here and what you want to do so that you can go marching upstairs with a completed report card. Very well put. Talk to us about the happiness thing, uh, Corby. What do you mean by how can you clean out your happiness? Does it ever get messy? Happiness can always get messy, Um, especially when you are trying to be perfect. You know, there's an old saying, perfect is the enemy of good. Um, And uh, what I do when I start this chapter, I talk about I really do love to play with food. I am a good cook, have been since I was four. I did birthday present with I was allowed in the kitchen at that point. But if I have an idea about what I want to do, um, I will not not do it because I don't have one ingredient. I will play with it. Um, one of the things I talk about in the book is, you know, I put food in the freezer. I, I cook and put in meals. And a lot of containers are labeled beef, chicken, or pork, TR. TR stands for Teddy Roosevelt, who said, do what you can with what you have where you are. And what that says is this is a one-time recipe. I have no idea what's in it anymore, and I will never be able to repeat it again. But it was good this time. So if I had a recipe for happiness, TR, it's six things. It's be in the moment, attitude of gratitude, that Martian curiosity, 
No rules, just right, side the box, and don't be attached to the outcome. So how do you work that? Be in the moment is where are you right now? What do you got in the pantry right now? Don't say, why didn't I go to the store? Don't say, I should have remembered to do this. Just what do you got now? And look at, be, be grateful for what you have. I mean, right now, we have a tiny little house, but we have a full pantry. How many people don't have either a house or a pantry? Attitude of gratitude. Every single thing you've got is a gift and a blessing. Don't ever say it's not enough. Then it's the Martian curiosity thing. And I, when, I'll explain this for food. My friend Meg, when she couldn't decide what to do for dinner, she'd chop up onions, she'd throw in some garlic, and she'd saute them in butter and olive oil, and she'd keep standing over the pan and sniffing it until the smell told her what she was supposed to cook for dinner. Um, <laughs> so that's an example of, you know, whatever. And Meg was great because she could put together stuff that you would not have imagined. But that was an example of totally open to possibilities. Um, no rules just right, like um, at you don't need health and wealth and marriage and success and a house and a minivan to have the happy life. There are no rules about what being happy means or how happy you should be or how much happiness you should have at any given time. I mean, I grew up in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. My father was a doctor. We had a great big four-bedroom house. I went to an Ivy League uh, college. We live in a tiny little house in, in a rural area of New York now. It looks nothing, nothing like I thought I would look like in my 60s. But it is perfect to who I am now. So no rules, just right. Thinking outside the box is, again, it's no judgment. Um, I tell people, let's not only think outside the box, let's think outside the room where the box is stored. And I have a friend who is a vagabond. She lives out of a car with a dog, and she loves it. She doesn't want to be tied down to a house. She just travels. She works when she can. She, you know, just enough to make it. And a lot of people would look at her and say, something's wrong with you. I didn't. I never have. If this is what she wants for her life, who am I to judge? She is finding her happiness in a different box than I would, but it doesn't invalidate her box. And the last thing is not attached to outcomes. When you don't say it has to be this way to be good, then everything is open to you. I did not expect to have to deal with cancer three times. I did not expect to be married more than once. I did not expect this um, inspirational speaking and intuitive counseling to be a career. But I wasn't attached to the outcome. I didn't have to be this, that, or the other. It was, where can I be of service right now? What feels right right now? Who needs me right now? And if those things took me away from what I thought the outcome was going to be, as long as I could see a light, I was fine. How do you make happiness in your life? Those ingredients. What would you say to people out there that, that are chronic procrastinators? They're always going to want to get started but never do. 
you're living in Neverland. And as you say, tomorrow is promised to nobody. How many people thought they had all the time in the world and then they got coronavirus and they ended up in the hospital on a ventilator? Some of them died. Some of them are long haulers. I have a friend, it's been almost a year since she got coronavirus. And she's young. She's in. Her heart is screwed up. Her lungs are screwed up. She has no stamina. Everything she planned for her life is now impossible. And she doesn't know when she's going to get it back. So you can procrastinate. You know, God's going to say, fine, whatever you want to do, I'm, I'll wait. But circumstances won't. That's one of the most important things that the coronavirus has taught us is you do not know what's coming down the pike. Behave like today is all you have. You will not procrastinate when you do. That's so very true. That's a powerful piece of information as well. So I hope uh, my listeners out there taking notes because you're definitely giving them some jewels and some things that could definitely benefit them moving forward. And now when you speak on uh, simplifying your life, what are you speaking of uh, exactly? Oh, please. Look around your house right now. Everybody there. And how much stuff have you collected that you don't even remember? Why the heck you got it? You know, um, one of the exercises that I do with some of my clients, especially when I'm at their house, I say, okay, I want 20 things on the table that you think are really important and you can't live without. And they go and they get 20 things and they put them on the table. I said, fine. You look at them, and then I want you out of the room. And then I take away eight things, and they never know what they would. They just cannot hold those things in their mind. I say, fine, now pick five and put them on the table. And they leave, and I take all of them away. But they can tell me exactly what they were and why they were useful. What that is, is that helps you understand how much clutter you really have that you don't need. And so some of the questions I have clients ask here, if I had a year to live, what would be important? Would you really still need to collect all those Victorian dolls? Would you really need to have every single Elton John album and magazine and fan club, whatever? Probably not. What do you find yourself doing or using most often? Do you really need 14 pans? Or does the one you always get out of the uh, cupboard, that and a crock pot, will that do? What have I surrounded myself with that has ceased to matter? And these are things like books you don't read any longer that take up shelf space, friendships that are more high maintenance than nurturing, old thought patterns that maybe worked in your 20s and 30s but certainly don't work in your 40s and 50s. Put those in the done with pile. Um, A good one is what have I gone unconscious about? How many things in your kitchen have you overbought because you forgot you had them, you know, like 14 (laughs) five-pound bags of sugar? How many articles of clothing have you purchased because they looked yummy, but you haven't worn them? Look at your bank account. How many online subscriptions do you have? How many uh, purchases did you make just because it was easy to click? 
What benefits other people in your house, not just you? I mean, everybody needs their own toothbrush, but they don't all need copies of Harry Potter. One will do. Now, there's also intangible clutter. That's the tasks and the relationships and the obligations and the emotions that waste your time. They don't feed your soul. They don't give you any benefit. And they kind of hit check out of the way all the other things that would be more important if you had time. So it's not just a matter of, yeah, I guess that these shoes are worn out. Let's throw them out. It's a matter of looking at everything in your life. One of the things that I do every New Year's Eve, I go through and I clean. And if I haven't used something in a year, if I haven't read something in five, I ask myself, do I need this or am I done? And I give it away or I throw it out or I see if somebody else can use it. As a result, I am what I call an anti-quarter. Do you make house calls, Corby? (laughs) Um, well, my dad did as a doctor, you know, way back in the 1950s, for <laughs> two bucks a visit. Uh, so I like that about discarding stuff that you can't use, boy, because people sure have a tendency to pick up a lot of clutter. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm guaranteeing everybody here has cassette tapes or eight tracks. You're not going to play them anymore. There's nothing you can play them on. Get rid of them, please. Those shoes that were in style 30 years ago, you are not going to wear them now. I'm sorry. You just <laughs> Dump them. Dump them. And it, maybe they're keeping them for collector's items and stuff. Maybe they think they're going to come back in fashion again. Who knows? And please, if if you've got platform shoes with six-inch heels, sell them. <laughs> Make a little money. Please don't wear them because people will know how old you are. Uh <laughs> You want to hear something funny? I used to wear platform shoes back in what the, the late '60s, early '70s, and um, so did I, honey. And, and damn near and, broke my uh, ankle. <laughs> they they uh, booked me on Dolomite um, with Eddie Murphy, and they was asking oh, everybody, kidding. did they have did they have that gear, you know, from uh, that era? And I guess somewhere along the way, I discarded all that stuff because I couldn't find anything that looked like that. I I don't know how any of us are alive today. You would think that we would have broken our necks. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) But that definitely was a fun time, though. I guess we were too young to know better, and uh, we hadn't uh, experienced some of these things that we've experienced this far, you know. And I tell everybody now that I got more years behind me than I do in front of me, and a lot of things I forgot Mm -hmm. more than they know. That's right. There's a reason that we elders are supposed to be smart. It's because we already did all the dumb. <laughs> we left that yeah, we do. <laughs> Look, everything dumb, we've already done it, so we passed that. Now we're going on round mm-hmm. two. <laughs> right. Been there, done that, sold the franchise. I think Corey be talking to you. I think I'm going to move my refrigerator a mile and a half away, and that way I can force myself to exercise more. It's, yeah, you know, either that, put it out in the yard. Who knows? Because yeah, staying at home, boy, being in the house, boy, is definitely not fun. So, I mean, I'm definitely going to think about that one. Put it a good distance away. That way, if I want something, I have to go <laughs> get my exercise along the way. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And just put a big not. sign on the refrigerator that says, are you sure? And when you see that, see, you're going to go, well, nope, I guess I, I'm not really sure that I should go look in the refrigerator right now. We just have to ask ourselves these questions. Yeah, well, I'll be sure before I even go because I have to think about, it. do I really want to go that distance right now? Because maybe if I don't mm-hmm. go, I might lose a pound or two. Yeah, yeah, a lot of people have put on the quarantine 15. So talk about uh, what is the perfection in your adaptability section. Did we start talk about that yet? Yeah. Um, Probably the most personal chapter that um, I wrote, uh, two things. One of them was why perfect isn't what you think it is, and the other one was um, when perfect destroys good. But let's look at when perfect isn't what you think it is. Um, normally on my birthday, at least when I was younger, uh, it would be a big deal. And there was one birthday where I was really, really sick and wasn't well enough to go out. I was on a whole bunch of antibiotics and, you know, you, you can't really eat when you are. And so I decided that I was going to make that birthday perfect anyway. So that's when I invented what I call my perfection ponders. Perfection ponder number one, perfection can be flexible. So we didn't go out to dinner. I had some writing deadlines, and all of a sudden I had six hours opened up where I could write. That was good. Perfection ponder number two, perfection can mean considering other ideas and changing courses. I had started out writing one thing. It wasn't gelling. I threw it out. I went and got a totally other idea and made it work for the article that was due in two days. Perfection can give attention to what really matters. Knowing that I was doing something I loved instead of regimenting it into certain days and hours like I can only write on Wednesdays, meant that when inspiration called, I could be right there with it. Number four, perfection can be found in the tiniest moments and the most ordinary occurrences. And for that, I'll talk right today, the fact that um, we did Valentine's Day dinner here at home, not in a fancy restaurant, but I found a new recipe that my husband was swooning over. And for me, that was better than champagne and salad. I'm sorry. Um, When I can cook and make something wonderful for him, that's a big thing. Number five, perfection can be the willingness to fail fast and get it out of the way to get to where you want to go. Don't keep pushing to do something when you know you can't or it's not going to work. Just say, fine, not working, where I go next. Don't be afraid to move and change. Perfection can be flow because I was willing to be easy about the day going back to when I was sick and didn't compare it to all my other birthdays. I was able to take everything in stride. Perfection comes from imperfection. Because I wasn't trying to make the day perfect, it simply was, because I accepted everything that was happening and simply enjoyed it. And the last one is so important. The universe is always perfect. We are part of the universe. The universe is always perfect. Therefore, our situation is perfect, whether or not it looks that way on the surface. Because the universe's greatest experience for me on my 61st birthday was showing me how perfectly I could live the exam in life. 
So instead of having a day when I was pissing and moaning and miserable and this isn't fair and blah, 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 it became a wonderful, quiet, easy day when I got some writing done and my husband fixed me dinner. And it was wonderful because I didn't stay stuck on if it's not this way and perfect, it's horrible. Perfection, perfection is um, overrated, at least the way most people say it. Still there, Lamont? Yeah, I was saying, I don't know why you didn't hear me. I just went out for a second. <laughs> I said uh, we're down to the last couple, two, three minutes of the show, and I'm definitely going to have to have you come back again because I definitely like some of these key points that we definitely didn't get a chance to address. But one of the things that jumped sure. out at me is that we're taught from childhood that someone else knows better than we do. I mean, what? well, golly, I hate that. Uh, what do we do with that one? Tell me that one real quickly. We say thank you for sharing. You may think that if you wish. That's what we do um, because no one is going to know you better than you do. All right? Please trust yourself. That is so important. When you understand that your life experiences are as valid and authentic as any self-help book, you're going to be able to find your own answers and trust your own knowing and design your own toolbox for life. And that's when you truly get to get up every morning because you know that you're the one who's going to move and shake and make the world the way you want it to be. Just you, not me, not Lamont. Right. And again, Corby, um, people can go get your book everywhere. Put that one out there again as well, please. Yes. Um, Best place to get it is Amazon. Clean out your life closet. You can get it in paperback or Kindle or an audio book. And please let uh, Corby know where you heard her and where you heard the show, and please go out and support. And for those that joined the show last, I mean, Corby, this time just went by so fast. For um, the people that joined the show late, it will be available in its entirety in just a few minutes. Um, it'll be available just about on all the platforms, so you won't have no excuse not to hear it. And I'm sure uh, you'll be able to get something very, very positive out of the show that's going to enhance your life moving forward. And uh, there's definitely no questions about that. So with Corby, you're going to clean out some of that stuff, clean out your life closet. We know you got some junk and baggage in that you need to get rid of anyway. Well, I had a wonderful time, Lamont. It was great, and I will come back anytime you want. Oh, definitely, definitely going to have to have you come back in the very near future because there's so much stuff going on out there in the world today, and we need more positivity from people such as yourself, you know. And uh, I definitely definitely felt the positives and the good vibes coming over here, and I'm going to take some of the things you said and run with it. Thank you. That that makes me real happy. And thank you too, Corby, and, and thank you, Guy, over there for giving you to us for this time. Yes. Yes. Oh, all right. Everybody, Corby Midnight. Hope I said it right that time. Yes, um, you did. <laughs> definitely come back and join us again, and then. Uh, this is our time, everybody. Um, this is Counterplayer Play. I'm your host, Lamont Patterson. Thank you for joining us so much. 
We definitely appreciate you. Continue to support the show. And we will be back next week at the same time, 2.30 PST. Continue to be safe out there. And uh, we all know what's good. And we all know what's bad. You know, we don't need nobody to tell us. So, you know, just keep that in your mind and go out with a good spirit. Much love to everyone. Have a good day. Be safe.